Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Bright Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Bright. When we think about the grace of God, I feel like often what we do is we think about what God does for us, right? Like that's, that's how we often think about grace, that it's effectual and that it's happening around us and we experience it or we see it, right? But can I tell you something tonight that I think is incredibly important is that grace isn't just something that works outside of us. The grace is something that works in us, Amen. that God is doing a deep work in us. It's the grace around us. It's the grace inside of us. And, uh, you know, I mean, I've, I guess I've shared this many times before, but you know, the first 12 months, I was 21 years old when I decided to come back to church and rededicate my life to Jesus. And I remember when I first came back, I had this incredible encounter with God. And, and it was my, even to this day, I haven't quite experienced what I did on that day, not at that level. And so anyway, I had this great encounter with God. And you know, like when we run in church, I mean, gosh, if you're a Christian, surely you come to church wanting to have a moment with God, right? Oh, then you'll be easy to please. A lot of you are just like, oh, we don't care. We're just happy to be here. So anyway, but, 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 but like for me, I, I just wanted an encounter with God. So anyway, I had that moment. And, and you would think that having an encounter with God would be something that would just dramatically transform the person's life. Like that would be different on the other side. Yeah, well, that's not my story. So my story is a little bit different in that, you know, I went to church and I had this encounter with God and I knew it. And I was on the way home deciding on whether I'd even come back to church. And I did. Actually, I was going to church for 12 months before you began to visibly see signs that God had really done anything. I've said it before, but I'll tell you the truth about me, because I like to be transparent as a preacher if I can. So I was the person that would honestly uh, and, and, and regularly come straight to church on Sunday morning, direct from the club in a taxi, still smelling like smoke from the night before, which was still really happening for me since I had not gone to bed. And so I would make my way down the back row and sit in the back and just hope that no one noticed me or the smoke in my clothes. And so that was it. And I think that in that first 12 months, if anybody had seen me and said, hey, you reckon God's really doing something with that guy? Because it sure doesn't look like it. The truth is, you wouldn't have been able to notice much that was happening. But can I tell you the truth? A lot of what God was doing, it was all happening on the inside. It wasn't visible yet. Hey, you know, it's like sometimes that's what God does. It wasn't visible. You couldn't see it. But something was happening to me on the inside. I want to read a scripture to you today. This is, comes out of Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Paul, the apostle, writes this. He says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. God finishes what He starts. Amen? He doesn't do things halfway. God sees everything through. He always finishes what He starts. The gospel is the most complete message. And I think most evidently uh, the, the, the best, uh, most highly visible message of God finishing what He starts. The gospel, I think, is the greatest message that we've ever heard. And if you're new to church, you don't come very often just to uh, advise you, to let you know it's the story of Jesus coming from heaven to earth. 
and paying the penalty for the sins of people. And so, I mean, the scriptures say that the penalty for sin is death. So that's why Jesus came. Such is the magnitude of Jesus' death on the cross 2,000 years ago that even you today, with all of the stuff that you have in your life, if you said, you know what, I want to give my life to Jesus and be forgiven for my sins, in that moment, you would experience that relationship with God in a new way. I think the gospel is a great message of grace. It's just grace. It's just what God has done for you. But can I tell you that God doesn't want to just do things for you, right? So God saves you because He loves you. And then He does something in you because He's got a plan for you. Right? Right? So He doesn't just leave it. Because if we just leave the story at, He saved you and that's the end. No, no, no. I feel like so often when it comes to, to the issue of having a relationship with God and entering into that relationship with God, it's not the end. You didn't just cross the finish line. You crossed the starting line. And you begin a relationship with God and He begins to work in you and He continues that work in your life. And He wants to do something in you because He's going to do something for you. He has plans for you. Sometimes I feel like we have plans for Him. God, I've got, I have big plans for you, God. Big plans for what you're going to do in my life. You and me, we're going to be a team. I'm going to be rich. You know, I'm going to be successful. I'm going to be powerful. I'm going to, oh, and of course I will give to the church and whatever you want, but, but rich. So that would be nice. So sometimes we have plans you know, for God. We have ideas that we would love Him to fulfill. Now, the truth is, is that I'm not saying that any of those things are, are bad. And, um, you know, honestly, I hope that God makes all of you rich and you keep coming to Bright Church. I mean, that would be really awesome. I would, I would love that, okay? But, but I, I, I am saying to you, I don't know if that's God's plan for your life, but, but I absolutely do know what God's plan is for you. I don't know if those things are going to be included in it, and I hope for your sake, maybe that they are, but I can absolutely tell you, every single person in this room, what God's plan is for you. And His plan for you is to transform you to become more like His Son. That's what He wants to do with you. So if you're ever confused about the direction that you need to take in life and you're saying, God, what is for me next, right? Or oh, He's trying to transform you or conform you into the image of His Son, Jesus Jesus Christ, you know, like, like the Messiah, like, like the Holy One of Israel, like God's plan is to get you from wherever you are to be more like the Holy One of Israel. Man, how holy do you feel tonight? Has God got a lot of work to do in this room? I don't know, but, but like, how, honestly, like, how holy do you feel Right now, this is God's plan for you. What if I told you that God set you apart for a specific and holy purpose? Did you know that God does this? God does this all the time and it's consistent. I mean, you look through the, the Scriptures, look, go back into the Old Testament. He would set apart for a holy purpose 
prophets. Prophets would have a designated and holy purpose. They'd speak to the people of God on behalf of God. And, and there would be priests that would minister and intercede for the people of God on, on behalf of the people and, and be that person that would connect God to people. And then there would be kings and, and, and kings would rule nations. And if there were godly kings, that people would be blessed. In fact, can I tell you that God is so amazing that he even takes ungodly kings like Pharaoh. Go back, read the story. And he'll even take a king like Pharaoh that wanted nothing to do with God and he still made Pharaoh achieve a holy purpose. This is how good he is at doing what he does. And he sets it apart. Now, when we say the word set apart, we have a, a, a word, that's not a Christian word, but we have a big word that we might use to describe that. It's the word consecrate. And consecration is something, when anything is consecrated, it is set apart and it's holy. So God wouldn't just set apart people. He would set apart utensils. Yes, utensils. Like don't confuse the average utensil with the holy utensil. They, they go in the second drawer just so you don't mess it up. You know, so he would set apart utensils and he would set apart all kinds of other things. Buildings, for example, would be set apart for God. There would be uh, anything, uh, rooms with designated and specific purposes that are set apart for the purposes of God. Anything that is separated for God is designated and holy. And that actually includes God himself because he is consecrated. He is completely holy. And I said this last week, but I don't know if you were here, so I'll tell you again. See, when, the, when, when we read the Hebrew language, what we try to do when we get the English Bible, and, and I want you to have faith in this thing because they, they do a really good job of translating the Bible all of the time. They do a really great job with it, right? But every now and then, uh, there is a Hebrew word and we do not have an English equivalent. So then they have to go, well, what are we going to substitute this word with? How are we going to explain to people what this really means? And so when it comes to the holiness of God, right, they, when, when you see it translated in the Bible, there was a Hebrew word that said, holy uh, Lord God Almighty, right? But then, right, in the English translation, when you read it, you see it like this, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the aim is just to say it three times to hope that you really get it, right? So we say, let's just say it three times. Let's just repeat it. Let's just repeat it. If we say, holy, 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 I just think that these guys are going to get it. Like, let's just repeat it. So, so for example, like my probably poor illustration of this would be if you had a bottomless pit and someone went and said, oh, that's a pit, you would say, oh, that's not just a pit. That's a pit, pit, pit. <laughs> that is, that is a, that is a, we don't have a word for bottomless pit, so we're just going to say that's a pit, 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 right? It's, it, it, it's, it's ongoing. It's endless, just like God's holiness. Yeah. It's ongoing. It's endless. It, it's, it's, he is, in so many ways, unimaginably holy. Now, let me ask you again. How holy do you really feel? How, how holy do you feel? Do you feel a bit you feel close to God in that way? It's like, yeah, there's like God, and then there's like me, you know? Like how, how holy do you feel? Well, hey, why don't you just go ahead and judge your neighbor right now? Why don't you look at them and, and say, hey, just, just give me a nod if you think that they're really holy. There's not a lot of nods, right? And some of you are married, okay? So this is, this is concerning, all right? But, but you know, <laughs> this is the thing. Like God is trying to conform you into the image of his son and he's making him holy. It's actually, it's kind of funny because I think that we can probably tell who is holy. Well, you can't, but maybe I can. Even from here, I can discern... 
I can discern who the holy people really are. Do you, do you know how I know this? Some of you just went, right? I know. Do you remember that thing that Jesus said when he said, hey, if, your eye gouge, uh, if it causes you to sin, then you should, uh, you should gouge it out. Yeah. And uh, there was the other part he said, hey, if your hand causes you to sin, you should chop it off, right? It was pretty easy for me because just, I'm just looking around for missing limbs. I'm, I'm, as I'm walking around here tonight, I see a lot of people with two eyes. So I can only assume that you've never looked at anything wrong. You've never, you've, never had a, you've never had a bad thought. Your hand has never caused you to sin. Like I'm looking at the holiest, holy, holy, holy people. Anyway, you, you get the point that I'm making. God wants us to become more holy. That's His plan for us. And, and sometimes it's hard for us to tell. Lucky for us, the Catholic Church has gone ahead and, 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 and tried to do a good job of discerning who are the holy people. And they've done it by calling them saints. Okay, so then that's how we know. Now, there's actually not a lot of saints. I mean, comparatively, if you look at the Scripture, sorry, if you look at how long the church has been around, a couple of thousand years, comparatively, there are not a lot of saints. But there are a couple of requirements in order for you to be a saint. The first thing is you need to be dead. So you never get to enjoy it. So if you die and you did really well, they'll say, and they were a saint, right? But maybe your family gets to enjoy it. Your kids get to enjoy it. You never get to enjoy it, okay? So, so that's the first thing. And you have to, the other thing is, you have to have accomplished a lot. It's a lot of what you did in your life and your works and your energy and your effort. Now, if you were a really holy, holy person, right? Then when you die, they could call you a saint. I'm like not against calling people saints. Not at all, right? In fact, I would love to bring it forward. And I tried to test this out even with the small congregation because I said that St. Benjamin sounds very nice, right? Doesn't it? Uh, some of you are like, I don't know what to say to that, right? I, I kind of like it, right? I just, it has a nice ring to it. But you know what's funny is that when I get the scriptures and I read them and I, and I look at what the Bible says, they're always writing to saints, Right? Like if I flick this thing open, right? Paul's writing like to the saints in the Ephesus and the saints in this city and the behalf of the saints and the saints and the saints. Man, how is it that in the Bible there are so many saints and yet today we just don't seem to have any? To me, it just doesn't make sense. Unless back then they were far more holy than we are now, but I've read the Scriptures and I know that they weren't. So how is it that there's a lot of saints back then, not so many saints now? Well, the answer is actually quite obvious because they had a different way of looking at it. So let me give you the biblical approach to what saints really are. Peter says this, and you can read this for yourself in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. It says that God's church, which is His ecclesia, that's the Greek word for it. And when I say that, I'm not talking about, you know, just bright church or just the church down the road or the church across the other side of the city. We're not just talking about these churches. But when I say this, I'm talking about the universal church. So everybody that calls themselves a Christian and is a genuine believer in God and follower of Jesus, right? That's the kind of people and they form what we would consider to be the universal church. Now Peter says that the church that are a royal priesthood and then get this he says a holy nation. All right so let's just backtrack. The church 
universally all over the globe, not that we've all gathered together and formed our own nation, you know, but we are everywhere. He's saying, you know what it's like? The church, you are a holy nation. Christian people in general have been declared holy and they are set apart for a specific purpose. Translation, if you are a Christian, you are a saint. That's interesting. If you are a Christian, then you are a saint. You may not feel like a saint, but the Bible says that you are. Now, how? (laughs) Come on now, you know everything about you. How are you a saint, right? How are you a saint? Well, the answer is grace. That's what it is. It's just grace. It's the grace of God on your life. The truth is no one is good enough to be a saint. No one. You just get it by grace. It's completely given to you. And so tonight what I want to do is I want to tell you a few steps towards sainthood because it's going to be helpful for you to know this. In fact, I think it would be helpful for a lot of people to know this because there's a lot, apparently, there is a lot of confusion out there over what's a saint and what holy is. And, you know, Sarah and I, we were driving in the car the other day and we had on the radio and I was listening to this song by Justin Bieber and it's called Holy. And I started to hear the song and I, you know, the lens of a pastor, I'm like, this guy is telling us, he, you can't, I can't believe it. He's written a song about God and it's gone number one. This is incredible. This is amazing. I'm like, what are the words? What are the words? I'm like trying to listen to it, right? And, and, and I missed the first part of the song, but he starts saying this part, holy, holy, holy. And I'm like, yes, it's the Lord God Almighty, man. This guy's got it. This is so good, right? And, and so, hey, you know what I did? I, I've actually got some of the lyrics of the song here. I, I thought I might just read them out to you. If I was confident, I would sing them out, but I want you to come back next week. So this is what it says. And it starts off and it says, I hear a lot about sinners. Don't think that I'll be a saint. I was like, oh, come on, Justin. Like, come on. I mean, you know, you got some problems. It's pretty obvious. But, 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 but you know, I mean, you, you could get there. Like, I mean, we're all saved by grace through faith in Christ, right? So come on, you can do it. And then he says this thing, but I might go down to the river. And I'm like, amen, baptism. I'm like, this guy, he's talking about getting dunked and, and, and making a public confession of his faith. Uh, faith. Like, and, and, and. On radio, this is going to be so awesome. And then he says this part, the way you hold me, hold me, hold me, hold me. And it feels, you know what it feels? It feels so holy, 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 right? I'm like, this is beautiful, right? And then he says this, oh God. And he says, run him to the altar like a track star. I'm like, this is the moment of his salvation. This is where it all happens, right? He's going to tell us that he came weeping before God and he said, I want to give a life to you, God, right? And this is, the, this is a beautiful story. I thought, I've got to go back and look up what this song is about. Well, I was a little shocked to find out that this song, in fact, had absolutely nothing to do with God. Like, like nothing to do with God. The person who holds him, holds him, holds him is his wife. And somehow she makes him 
feel so holy, holy, holy. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me, kidding me, kidding me? Holy, holy, what the heck are you talking about? Like, and then he said, and then I said, well, what was that part about the altar? That's when they got married. He ran to the altar to marry Haley Baldwin. This is about Haley Baldwin. And I thought to myself, this is crazy, right? If, if, if Haley Baldwin is the one that makes us get so holy, what are the rest of us mere mortals supposed to do? We can't marry Haley Baldwin. He's already done it. Well, guess what, everybody? Good news. You don't need a, a holy hug from Haley Baldwin to get holy. You can do this another way. You could do this a completely different way. And I should just send this to Justin Bieber, all right? So, by the way, I like Justin Bieber. Good on him. He's an awesome guy, right? He just, I'm, honestly, I was listening to this. <laughs> and when I realized what it was, I said, I called out to my wife. I, this is the dumbest song I've ever heard because I don't know how his wife can make him so holy, holy, holy. Let me give you the steps to sainthood. Is this okay? Good, because I'm preaching it anyway. Number one, the first thing you do is you change direction. All right, so there's a million people going a million different directions in life. But if you want to choose the right path, you change whatever direction you're going right now and you turn towards Christ. That's the first step. We have a Christian word that we would use for that. The word that we use or a biblical word, however you want to say it, right? That word is repent. And that's all that means. I was going this way. Now I've turned. Now I'm going this way. That's all repent means. I'm just changing direction. It's like, we don't really, we don't say the word repent. I feel like repent has got a bad rep, you know? Because I feel like sometimes when I say the word repent, it belongs on a plaque right below another sentence that says the end of the world is near and someone at a train station is yelling at you to give your life to Jesus. So we're like, it's got a bad rap. Let's not talk about that anymore. But you know what? All it means is I'm turning. I'm changing direction, right? Now, here's what happens. When you change direction, something happens and it's an event. It's a moment, okay? And the thing that happens is you get what we call justified. This, this is a one-time event. And, and let me explain to you how justification works, right? Justification works like, you know, when I told you before that Jesus paid the penalty for your sins, right? Well, there is this beautiful exchange that happens where God accepts Jesus's death in place of your own. So what you do when you repent and you ask Jesus for forgiveness of your sins, in a moment, Jesus takes all of your sin, all of your mistakes, every wrong thing you've ever done. Scriptures say, as far as the east is from the west, so are your transgressions removed from you. So He takes all of that. Now, what does Jesus do in exchange? He gives you all of His righteousness, which means that when you come before God, even if you feel like you screwed up this week, when God looks down on you, He doesn't see the mistakes you made this week. He sees the righteousness of His Son. That means that you can always boldly go into the throne and grace and you will expect to find mercy in your time of need. Why? Because you currently have the righteousness of Christ on you. That's how this works. And it's beautiful. God declared you righteous because He accepts Jesus' sacrifice in place of your own. And that holiness, come on, this is a gift that God gives to you. That's why it says, and I preached this last week, but that's why it says, no one can boast. No one can boast. 
Because there's not one person that gets to heaven and says, you guys needed Jesus, but I got here on my own. No one gets to say that. Not one person can boast because we all need to be saved by grace through faith in Christ. We equally, no matter where we're at, require that same portion and amount of grace. Here's the thing that you need to do, especially if you don't have a relationship with God. You need to come to Him as you are. Because sometimes what people do is they want to just, you know, and I've seen this before they come to church, they just want to make sure they've had a really good week. You know, like see if they can get it right and, 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 and do the best job that they can. And I, and I think this is, that's not how this works. You need to come to God as you are. Trying to fix yourself is like, it's like trying to clean yourself before you step into the shower. Like what a stupid thing that would be to do, right? Yeah. It's like, no, 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 no. The act of going into the shower is the very thing that cleans you. Yeah. Now, when you want to get your soul clean, the very act of coming into a relationship with Christ is the very thing that gets your soul clean. So you don't want to try to get clean first and then come to God. You'll never do it. The most important thing that you can do is come to Christ and let Him do what you could never do for you. Yeah. That's how all of this works. And it's important to understand this because, look, I feel like most people understand in some regard that they're not perfect and, and, and would understand in some way they're, they're a little bit broken because none, none of us can obtain the standard that God has for us. But if I, man, if I had a dollar for every time I heard somebody say something like, oh, you know, I could never come to church because, you know, if I did, then the roof would just collapse in on me, right? And I'm like, Really? You must have never been because church is for people exactly like you. That's why we're here. We're not, this is not a holy huddle. This is, this is not a group of people that have all got their lives together. It's a group of people that understand that we need Jesus and we've made a decision to follow him and, we're, and people are doing their best. By the way, the reason that the church exists in so many ways, I mean, there are so many functions, but but a, a big part of that is helping people on their journey as they continue in the direction of Jesus. And this is the second thing that you need to do. What's the first thing? Well, the first thing is you got to change direction. You got to repent. That's justification. The second thing, you keep moving in the direction that you turn to. And we have a word for that too. And that word is the word sanctification. And sanctification is progressive. It is the process of being made holy. And it's not something that you just will into being. It's something that God does in you. It's a work that He does in you. See, God loves you so much. And if I was going to highlight a point in the message, it would be this one. God loves you so much that He changes you while you focus on Him. And a lot of people are just trying to focus on changing their behavior. My encouragement would be you focus on Him and He begins to change your life. So sanctification, it, it, it's not the same as behavioral modification. Gosh, if Christianity 
was all about, hey, when you become a Christian, you just really work at this stuff, right? Like, I mean, people would be really regretting the decision to follow Jesus. They're like, I wish someone had told me that, that this was going to be such hard work and I would have to work really hard to be really good all of the time. That is not the message of Christianity. No, what is our message? That you have a new nature. Now that's Bible. God is doing something in you. You have a completely new nature. Let me, let me try to explain it to you. The difference between before Christ and after Christ is like the difference between a, a pig and a sheep. Okay, right, let me go with this, right? So before I was following Jesus, I was a pig. And so were you, right? And so after we start to follow Jesus, right? we become something completely different. Now, when I started to follow Jesus, I wasn't just a more refined version of the thing that I was. I, I, I didn't become a more refined pig. I became a completely new creation. That's the difference. You're, 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 you're something completely different. Now, now you're a sheep. Now, the thing about the pig is the pig loves the mud, right? And, and, and you can try to get that pig out of the mud, but it doesn't want to get out. It, it, it loves the mud. It wants to stay in the mud. It never wants to leave it, right? But sheep, sheep are different. Sheep don't like the mud, all right? When they see the mud, they don't get excited. When a pig sees the mud, it says, this is great, right? Head straight for it. The sheep says, no, I don't want that, right? I, I hate the mud. I'm not excited by it. I don't want to be anywhere near it, right? But the thing about sheep is that sometimes they're, they're a little bit, you know, a little bit careless. Like sometimes they're not really looking where they're going. They hate it because the money gets into their fur and it's, you know, it's just horrible, right? But, but they, so they want to stay away from it. But the truth is, is that sometimes a lot of sheep, they end up in the mud too. Yeah. There's a difference between the pig and the sheep. Because when the shepherd comes and both the pig and the sheep see the shepherd coming, the sheep run towards the shepherd and say, thank God you're here. I need your help. And the pig says, I'm fine where I am. You're a completely different thing. It's a completely new nature, totally transformed from the inside out. And I feel like this is actually really confusing to Christians because sometimes Christians say, well, I, I'm following Jesus, but the truth is I am a little bit stuck in the mud. Uh, I'm stuck and I didn't plan to be here, but I have an addiction in my life and no one in my life even really knows about it, but there is some mud and, and, I'm, and I wanna give it up, but I'm, I'm really struggling. So Christians get confused. Well, where am I? Well, let me help you out with that, right? The first thing that you need to understand is when you enter into a relationship with, with Jesus or with God through Jesus, you become justified. Now that's an event and that's a one-off. That's your legal standing before God. And in, and in that, you realize that this is entirely God's work. And there is some sense of you being completely perfect and righteous before God. That's the event, right? But then there's this other thing that I just told you about, the progressive part of Christianity. That's what we call sanctification. It's, got, it's ongoing. It's an internal condition. It's continuous throughout this life. We totally cooperate with God to get there. And in this, there is this sense that we are in fact not perfect at all. And we already know it. So how am I perfect and imperfect at the same time? Well, that's how. It's like two sides of the same co coin. Now, when it comes to justification, we all equally need the same grace. We all need it, right? And we're all equal in that. But when it comes to sanctification, we're not equal. 
The truth is, is that some of us are ahead of others. And the ones that are ahead are the ones that read the Scriptures, obey what Jesus says, employ His principles in their life, love Him with all of their hearts, don't resist Him when He comes knocking on the door of their hearts. There, there is a difference between those that are ahead and those that are still struggling to catch up. And you say, well, how do I get to be one of the ones that gets ahead? Well, I'm so glad you asked. I've actually got a great story about it. There's a story in the Bible about a man named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a, a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He was a little guy. And he was a tax collector. And the Jewish people hated the tax collectors because what they would do is they would buy the tax debts from Rome and then they would charge their own people those tax debts. But the way that they made money is that they charged their own people more than the tax debts were worth. That's how they made money. And the tax collectors were rich. And everyone who was Jewish, they, they knew how they got their riches. They got it from stealing it out of the pockets of the Jewish people. So nobody liked them. Let me read this story to you. Luke chapter 19, verse 1, it says, He being Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. He wasn't going to stay. He was just passing through, just going through Jericho. It says, And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And they knew how he got rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Remember that Jesus was only passing through. He didn't intend to stop. But it's like he saw Zacchaeus and he suddenly realized that God wanted to do something with Zacchaeus. So at potentially an inconvenience to himself, he altered his plans so that God could do something in the life of this wee little man. <laughs> Verse 6. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. The crowd grumbled. I hate it when Christians grumble because they see the grace of God in the lives of other people. He says, he has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Newsflash. They were all sinners. <laughs> what is wrong with these people? He's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood. Now, between verse 7 and 8, we believe that they had some time spent there because he went, he was going to his house, right? So he went to his house, they had a meal. You know what he did? He just spent time with, with Jesus. He spent this time with Jesus. Verse 8 is what happens out of spending the time with Jesus. And says, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. Okay, so half he's given to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone anything, he defrauded everyone everything. I restore it fourfold. Fourfold. He must have had nothing left at the end of this. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says to him today, salvation, salvation has come to this house 
Since he also is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. There's no record of Jesus commanding him to do a thing, but he seemed to just do it. How was that produced in him without being commanded to do it? Well, now you're going to see some sanctification work taking place. How does that happen? Well, I believe that I know the answer to this. Are you ready for it? Firstly, Jesus loved Zacchaeus. So Zacchaeus loved Jesus back. And that love for God began to just naturally expel all the stuff that was in his life. The stuff that shouldn't be there. Do you see that? Like as he loves God, it becomes easier to push out the wrong things that were already there. He's, he's making things right. Jesus never told him to do it, but his love for God is pushing now. Did you know that theologians have a term for this exact thing? It's called the expulsive power of the new affection. The expulsive power of the new affection. What it means is, is that there is some new great love in your life. And without you having to try to change or push yourself or modify your behavior, just naturally, as that love begins to take hold of you, you naturally begin to make changes in your life. Things begin to shift. Things begin to move. Zacchaeus is making changes. Jesus didn't tell him to do a thing. This is sanctification at work in the Scriptures as we see it. He didn't tell him to change. He just wanted to. And isn't that the ultimate win for every Christian person that they see the mud and they say, I don't even want it. I don't want to be near it. I'm going to go a wider way around it. I have no desire for that anymore. That is your ultimate win. When you don't even want it anymore. This is the work of sanctification taking place in your life, in Zacchaeus's life. It's kind of like, like, you know, when, you, when we get towards autumn and we start to see what, like the leaves, they start to go brown on the trees. And we see it. And we see that the, the leaves are dying, right? And if in that one season we were prepared to make a call on the future of that tree, we'd say it looks dead. But when we see a tree like that, we don't panic. You don't panic when you see leaves fall in autumn, do you? No, 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 no. Why? Why don't you panic? Because you know it's only for a season. And you know there's another season coming. And you know that there is life in that tree. And we haven't quite seen it yet, but all the work is on the inside. And come the right season, all the things that are new, that new life is going to begin to push out the old leaves. And everything's going to be different. And then you see a tree full of life and it was always in there. It's just that we couldn't see it. I think it's so important that when we're trying to figure out where people are at in life, we don't make one call about them in a specific season and say, that's who they are forever. Because we've got no idea what God is doing on the inside of them. It's the expulsive power of the new affection. They're going to love God and it's going to begin to change them. It's changing them. It's changing them. Remember what Jesus said? He said, a good tree produces good fruit, right? The tree doesn't try. doesn't put in any energy or effort. Have you ever driven past an apple tree and it was just like, and you're like, what are you doing? And it's like, Oh man, you don't know how hard it is to make apples these days. Like you have no idea, right? Oh, if someone had told me how hard this was, it would never be an apple tree. You would never say that, right? 
What's a tree do? It just exists, just lives. It just lives and it produces fruit. Why? Because it's a good tree. That's what happens with Christian people. They're producing good fruit. We could tell, right? And what are they doing? They're just being exactly who they are. How did that happen? God loved them first. You know that you only love Him because He first loved you, amen? You know that that's what the Bible says, right? That's why we love Him, because He first loved us. And you say, well, <laughs> but man, if it's also natural, as you say, what do I have to do? Do I even have to do anything? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember that part that I said was really important? You focus on Him because He changes you while you focus on Him. Don't make, it, don't make your focus all your behavioral modification. Just let, just let God into your heart. Just let God into your life. Just begin to worship in the middle of the week. Change your Spotify playlist. You know, I told you the, the first 12 months of, of, of my story was that I came and I was like that autumn tree. Like people, if they had to make a call, they'd say, nothing is happening there, right? And somehow I got from there to here. What happened? The expulsive power of the new affection. Because you know what? Because as I started to love God more and more, nobody told me to do a thing. But I tell you, my calendar started to change. I was committed to all these different things throughout the week and I just slice all of that back. Honestly, I'm not even joking, right? I'm like, I'm going to small group twice a week. I just loved it. I was just so passionate about it, right? I never missed a Sunday. I just loved it, right? You know what? No one told me to give. No one ever said to me, hey, if you want to come to this church, you need to give, right? I was just like, to be honest, really genuinely. I was like, we, everybody, we have got to give as much as we can because this is an important message, everybody. And we've got to get this message out to the world. Let me give, let me give. You think I'm joking? This is what God did to me. I had this passion for God and it transformed my budget. It transformed my calendar. It transformed my friendship circles. No one said, obey, this is the law. You must be different. Here is your behavioral modification plan. I just said, I love God. And out of that, all of this other stuff flowed. And I think, and I probably even shouldn't touch on this, but we're not streaming it. So it's a little bit looser. We never force anybody to change anything about their lives as a church. You understand what I'm saying, right? Okay. We don't, we don't force people against their will to change their orientation. You with me? What we get is we get to introduce people to the love of Jesus. And that thing begins to go to work. The expulsive power of the new affections, these people wanting to make changes without us doing a thing. Why? Because they just love God. That's how we win. That's how we do what we're supposed to do. And your job, by the way, as Christian people, if indeed you are, I don't know, but if you are, your job is not to quit when you find yourself stuck in the mud because I promise you this, the shepherd is coming and so is your season. So don't quit right now because there's another season coming. God can do anything in your life. He can change you. What are you going to do? You're going to focus on Him. He's going to change you while you focus on Him. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening to the Bright Weekly Podcast. 
We hope you're encouraged today and we'd love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to brightchurch.com.